More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. Reem Hassani and Ahmed Rahim, the siblings behind Numi Tea, are changing how tea impacts the world. Since 1999, they've been introducing people to new tastes and new possibilities through their creative and sustainable business model. On this episode of the Family Business Voice, Ahmed and Reem talk about the connection between tea and sustainable development, why hospitality and generosity are key brand values to them, and how they are growing Numi Tea around the world. Enjoy this episode with Ahmed and Reem. When you started Numi Tea back in 1999, was the original idea what it turned out to be, or what was the original idea of the two of you starting to work together on this project? So the original idea isn't much different in terms of what it is today. Uh, we wanted to start a tea company and we wanted to import a dry desert lime that we drank as children, which is called Numi Basra, which is from Iraq. And we drank it as children, you know, visiting our birth country back and forth and also here in the States. And it had inspired us. It inspired the family. Um, you know, somebody should import this, that kind of, you know, conversation around the dinner table. And so um, at the time we came together to do it, Ahmed was running tea houses, had opened some tea houses in Europe. So he had a vast tea knowledge. I didn't. I was just inspired by this one particular tea. So, and mm. I was um, studying art. So we kind of fused both of our passions for art and tea together to import this tea from Iraq, which actually imported from Oman. And that's how it began. Yeah, no, I think what we mentioned, um, our original inspiration was the Numi Basra, um, which we named the company after, you know, our drink of hospitality. And, uh, and then also there were some other values that have stayed consistent too, as far as really looking at innovation, you know, we really wanted to innovate and we brought these single ingredient herbs and teas from all over the world that hadn't been introduced to this country yet. And I think that mm -hmm. that lineage of innovation and purity and real ingredients hasn't changed either. You know, we, we stuck with just uh, um, real ingredients and we never went to low grade tea dust or natural flavorings or artificial flavorings. Mm -hmm. We really wanted to put the highest quality and the purest ingredients. And uh, that also stayed true. Um, <laughs> my original intention wasn't to stay here 22 years later. It was, uh, I was living a, a pretty comfortable life in Europe for about 10 years. And my plan was to go back there and, uh, and reside back in Europe. Um, so that part changed for me personally, but as far as the product and the ethos mm. around what we introduced has only expanded. When family members start working together 
that's usually quite an interesting thing to do. How did you find your dynamic as sort of like co-founders and co-entrepreneurs? What did you do? Was it a conscious effort or did it just happen? I think this is the first time we joined forces seriously in a business. Um, Ahmed had started kind of little side businesses since he was a kid, selling kind of at fairs. Um, we did a fruit stand once and he did different things and I was kind of his sidekick and um, uh, helping and making signs and drawing signs and things like that. So um, he's always had that bug, the entrepreneurial bug. Well, I would say, you know, Reem and I always had a nice connection, both being artists and having creative spirits, as well as, you know, being immigrants, always needing a sounding board to translate our differences from our family culture to the culture we were being raised in. So I think there was a deeper connection beyond just siblinghood that allowed us to be together and relate to the transformation of, of immigrating to this country, to America from, from Iraq, and then taking it into business It definitely, you know, put some strain on some of our relationships because our focus was no longer about who we're dating or, you know, what art <laughs> we're making, but how we're going to create revenue and pay bills and develop this tea business. So the pressures of money, of employees, of timelines and goals um, definitely put strain on us uh, as far as who's doing what, what's doing who, and, um, and, and, you know, but I think it, overall, you know, we s have always connected on the bigger things from the people mm -hmm. we hire to the products we introduce to the look and feel of the brand. We haven't had, you know, massive uh, disagreements around the big objectives uh, of the business. Um, I mean, there were always bumps in the road, especially those first 10, 10 years or so, you know, growing really fast and having the pressures and learning on the job, you know, learning so much about, um, about business and about people and uh, what the future of our business looks like. Um, but there was a lot of uh, elements that worked that kept us connected. And, you know, our family culture is about sticking together. So that helped us as well. Do you guys think that it is actually the, the reason also for your success, the fact that the product itself, in a way, I guess, reconciled both your identities, bringing something that is so dear to you from your birth country, from uh, Iraq, and, and, and bringing that to the culture that you, know, you, you came into? Is there maybe some ingredient in that in terms of that has kindled the kind of passion that has made you, you know, stay the course of entrepreneurship, which is so challenging, right? Like we know how many businesses try and, and fail. And uh, do you guys think it had something to do with that potentially? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think being from a culture of hospitality and, and bringing a beverage that's our way of, of being generous and giving, I think it came through in our products. I think it came mm -hmm. through in uh, our, uh, and both us being, uh, you know, artists at heart, you know, our, our, our way we, we showed the product really was alluring and it was, um, yeah, it just showed that we cared. 
you know, and that translated into how we produce the product, you know, from the super mm -hmm. high quality to the no flavors to really taking care of our farmers and fair trade and giving back to them and, and, and not using plastic overwrap and being thoughtful about how we, how we packaged it and moving our whole line into organic and, and just that sustainable environmental and social um, commitment that we had from day one uh, really exuded a, a culture that was about, um, yeah, being, being, being a servant to one another mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and caring for what we put out in the world. People might purchase the first time based on the packaging, but they come back because of the taste. And so for us, it wasn't selling a product, it's sharing a recipe, you know? So if you think about old cultures like that, you know, they're, they're sharing uh, their recipe with, you know, the grandmother's recipe or the mother's recipe with the world. So, you know, in these cases, it's Ahmed's recipe that he makes in his kitchen, you know, and tastes every single ingredient, make sure that it's just the best that he would drink it and he would serve it to his friends and family. So I wanted to add that. And then the other is, um, you know, the notion of taking care of your family. Um, taking care of your greater family, which are the people that you're touching along the way, that you're working with, that you're purchasing from. They're not, it's not just transactional. It becomes, you know, it's personal. It's you're creating personal relationships. So, you know, we don't know, but I can guarantee that that comes from our culture, <laughs> how we grew up and how our mother uh, raised us. So, yeah. Along the supply chain, right? Like for a tea company, like what areas are usually the ones that represent potentially the greatest pitfalls or the greatest difficulties to be sustainable? Like what would you say are sort of like, you know, the hardest things to fix, like, you know, from sourcing to, to shipping, et cetera, like where along the supply chain, is it the most difficult for a tea company such as yours to apply sustainability and to make sure that everything, you know, Uh, lives up to your own values, but also up to code. Yeah, the hardest part has been, um, and we've solved that, well, we continue to solve that, is packaging. Packaging is something that's outside of our management uh, capabilities because it's done by so many bigger companies. And petroleum-based packaging has taken over this you know, world the last 70 years and it's now the norm you know everything is is produced in plastic um so we did have an overwrap and pouches that we package in that was very difficult to find um sustainable materials we could have done it around eight nine years ago but it would have cost us four or five times what we were paying so let's say we were buying a million dollars worth of overwrap, it would have cost us four or five million, which obviously didn't make a lot of financial sense. Um, luckily, you know, after 15 years of hard work, we just finally launched that. Because the demand has gone up, the consciousness of, of consumer engagement of not buying petroleum has risen, the consciousness of retailers especially led by Whole Foods and some others of, of getting rid of petroleum-based products, um, has the consciousness has risen. You know, you hear about getting rid of plastic straws and plastic bags. So luckily, the manufacturers of these materials have uh, worked 
uh, hard to find solutions and the demand from manufacturers has grown. So the prices have been able to drop and, and the demand continues to go up. So we just did introduce, you know, a plant-based overwrap that's, that's all, you know, made of plants and, and non-petroleum. You are involved in various sustainability initiatives with the company, right? Like, so I, I think notably, I know that you are involved in, in clean water and I think a few more actually. And so for us, what's interesting for us to understand is like, at what point in time or how have you, the two of you agreed on what it is that you would like to engage in also in terms of external initiatives? Do you always make sure it aligns, I guess, with you know, what you do in the industry? Do you do things that are entirely out of scope? Like, how do you decide on where you would like to contribute and how does that align with Numi as a brand? We're trying to kind of put some frameworks around what we do, where we, you know, put our efforts, especially from the foundation side. But the water initiative together for hope came out from um, actually my husband, who's a advertising brand person, designer, And we put them on the task of, you know, finding out, kind of bringing us a campaign that overarched the brand. And, uh, you know, so it was kind of an aha moment that we had, you know, to that point sold millions of bags of tea, which translated into, you know, I don't remember how many, you know, 50 million gallons of water that we were inciting our consumers Mm -hmm. to use. And of course, it's clean water. And we were benefiting from that. And, you know, almost a billion people on the planet don't have access to clean, safe drinking water. So that was kind of a major light bulb that went off in our heads to say, wow, yes, we can definitely get behind that. And um, and then on various sourcing trips, Ahmed and uh, the team had been on and one was in Madagascar. And, you know, they're always asking what the farmers need. And in, in that case, it was they were drinking water from the dirty river and you know kids were having all kinds of sicknesses and they'd never had clean drinking water in their life so we made that our pilot project and within six months we're able to build 24 wells for you know 5,000 people in those villages and went back to see them and it's first time they ever had clean water which was you know amazing and our initial idea for the foundation was to help children in Iraq but, you know, with the wars and everything was really difficult. And um, so then we moved to our backyard of Oakland and then decided to create curriculums, which Ahmed oversaw curriculums to um, that were more holistic uh, teach learning and in specific gardening and art and social studies curriculum for Oakland Unified School District where, you know, they've cut out so many different programs. So um, there we've. Um, helped, you know, over 12,000 kids in the Oakland um, Bay Area with, you know, more enhanced art and gardening curriculums, mostly gardening curriculums. And then we did um, do a project in Iraq um, through um, another organization founded by our cousin, and that was a summer school program to help at-risk youth uh, stay in school rather than drop out of school. It's kind of an organic process in terms of where we where we go. You know, but at this point, we're kind of just growing the programs that we have. And then, of course, sorry, lastly, is our COVID relief program, where last year we totally pivoted because of COVID. And, you know, the kids that we had been serving, um, you know, are now at home. A lot of children are getting their food from school. And, um, you know, and these are low-income 
families. Um, and, you know, we saw more, more lines for people, you know, at food banks than we've ever seen before. And so we quickly pivoted and um, got fresh produce, delivered over 800,000 pounds of fresh produce to thousands and thousands of families in the Bay Area. What has been your approach in making these things actually work, right? Like, so that the benefit came to those that you wanted to help. Like, is there sort of like a, a way that you guys go about this, like recruiting the right talent or like a governance way that this works with Numi? Tell us more about like, you know, why you think you've been successful in having that impact? Because it's a fact that not everyone who wants to help or tries to help actually ends up succeeding because this can be very complicated. Well, I would say... Three things are important is one, do your diligence and really know what you're getting into and what the real problem is. Mm -hmm. Because if you enter something that is outside your sphere of understanding, then um, the more knowledge you bring in, the more experts you bring in, the more you can really see how you want to go about it. And then I would say two is, uh, is surround yourself with the right partners you know, the right organizations, the right leaders, and then, you know, whether it's nonprofits on the ground, it's people to run the the projects, because then you can do a real assessment and a real um, who's doing what, who's going to take what responsibilities on, the costs. And then, you know, lastly, it's it's what's closest to your heart, you know, um, even though that's probably the first thing, but it's it keeps everything moving forward when it's really close to home, um, when it's not something that is so abstract and so uh, not untangible, it's all tangible challenges, but something that you don't have a relation towards. So what are you really intimate with? And, um, and then if you do your due diligence and you surround yourself with great people that all can carry the, 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 the pieces to the whole, then it's only time and money that gets in your way. And, and, but with the right people and all the diligence, that's all possible. And, uh, and that's been our, I think our formula for success is, is staying true to what we believe in and then surrounding ourselves with the right people to make it happen. You're both artists. So are you today artistic entrepreneurs or entrepreneurial artists? Like how has your identity and perception of yourselves evolved? What has Numi T done to your uh, like sort of like identity uh, as people and like how do you see the future of the company and your own sort of like ambitions for it and for anything else you want to achieve the world of being an artist is quite um i want to say fragmented but it you know you get pulled in a lot of directions of expression and and numi brought a lot into the core of groundedness responsibilities really thinking about uh, how you do what you do and why you do it, where when I was an artist, I don't know if I was as conscious around that. And, um, but, you know, a lot of other elements helped in these last 20 years besides Numi to get to that place. And I think, yeah, having a business and having the responsibilities and commitments that we've made in this company really put more care into what you do and everything else. And, uh, and all the relationships we've had to build and some of the relationships that um, we had to let go of really has helped me become just wiser in my decisions and more conscious in how I show up. Um, and I think on the artist side, 
you know, I think once you are embodied in art, you always stay an artist. But I think the entrepreneurship has become more artistic. For me, Numi, I think it's given me also a grounding and a confidence that 20 years ago I didn't have as much. Um, so it's given me that. It's also the entrepreneurialness of Numi has given me a, some entrepreneurialness in art, meaning to let go of fear. You know, I think artists mostly you know, when they're free, they're free of their kind of own personal blocks of what they can do and how they can express, you know, so I think Numi's kind of helped me say, you know, oh, well, just do whatever you want. You know, you don't need to limit yourself in that sense. So I think it's taught me that. And I think the third thing is, I am glad that I was personally able to find, you know, financial stability, not through my art. So I think if I would have done that through my art, it would have been a whole other, like, you know, you kind of tend to do things that other people want you to do and other people like, and I could never have done that, I don't think. So it's, I'm glad it's kind of my own side project and hopefully it'll be more, um, you know, more and more time, you know, that the other thing is having a business and spending so much time, you have to sacrifice some of that artistic um, practice over the years. So I feel a little bit behind and need a lot more practice. And so hopefully one day I'll get there. For Numi itself, like, you know, I know that as an entrepreneur, I think, you know, we all suffer from this phenomenon that we never consider it. Or we're never done, right? Like it's never, <laughs> it's never successful enough. We're always at the next stage. So next stage wise, what is the plan for Numi, do you guys have like very concrete sort of like long-term plans for it? Or is it sort of more of a year-by-year -year kind of a situation? Well, we tend to create three-year plans and, um, you know, just to give our team the direction and the vision from a financial to a innovation and product development to um, our sustainable initiatives and causes. Uh, so we tend to create plans far further out, you know, be great to be able to plan a hundred years out just to really see what NUMI would look like when we're not here. Um, we haven't gotten that far yet, um, but uh, we tend to look a few years out and, you know, it's, it's definitely to remain, you know, the, the boldest and, and um, most sustainable brand uh, on the market, you know, not just in tea, but just in the consumer packaged goods industry to really push the envelope and uh, be bold and brave about why and how we do things. And our team are really leading a lot of those efforts. We, we have such a committed uh, team that really care about those values. So for me personally, they've uh, allowed me to, to be able to think bigger and think broader about um, where NUMI is in the next uh, you know, several years. And, uh, and, and also focus on what's the innovation that we want to do to keep ourselves um, cutting edge and attractive to not just the consumer and, and the, the, the customers that we serve, but also, uh, you know, to the, the greater industry. And I parallel that a lot with the CEO group that I, I, I co-founded called OSC to really think about what does the industry need? so that NUMI can participate in that because we need support and collaboration with others. We're not going to do it on our own. NUMI is a great, beautiful brand and a, a beautiful organization with incredible people. 
that we don't want to be in a silo. We want other people to collaborate with because with more, we can get more done. So uh, it's it's really holding hands and, and maybe being a part of that journey with others. Thank you both very much for being on this interview with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ramia. That was great to meet you. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.